0: Today's message, I'm going to be getting into my sin life, our sin life. I'm going to be getting into how Satan attacks us. And the goal, though, is not to walk out of here feeling beat down with all of our struggles and and how we fall short and how we fall into Satan's temptations. That's not the goal. The goal is to have a clear understanding of what those are and how he attacks us, but to also walk out of here with the joy and peace of knowing that once we know Jesus Christ, that we ultimately win the wrestling match of life, okay? That video, the reason I wanted them to show that video was not so much that I wanted you to see me wrestle or anything. Um, The reason I asked them to show that video is because I thought it was a great illustration of what I'm gonna speak on today. In that particular video was a guy, I was wrestling a guy named Bouvasa Satiev from Russia, He actually, at that period of time, he had not lost in six years. He was the defending Olympic champion in 1996. I actually traveled out to Atlanta to watch him wrestle in the Olympic Games in 1996. I was still at the University of Pennsylvania then. I graduated in 98. So I was out there two years before graduation watching this guy compete. And I remember being in Atlanta watching him saying, if I want to be the 2000 Olympic champion, this is going to be the guy I'm going to have to be. So at that moment, I started studying him. I started understanding his techniques. For four years, I watched him on video. I watched him 1997, he won the world title again. 1998, he won the world title again. 1999, he won the world title again. So we're going to 2000. I'd watched this guy beat everybody for all those years, and I started to get a better understanding of what his tactics were, what his strategy was, how he scored points. And I knew for me to beat him, I had to understand how he was gonna attack me so I could defend those attacks, but then also more importantly than just defending, to counter attack, to score points on him. And what you saw right there in that video is he was digging an underhook. These are wrestling terms, doesn't matter if you understand them really, but he was digging an underhook and he kind of came out of position. And so I was able to level change and hit him with a double leg, which that's what he was susceptible to. He was a big, tall, kind of lanky guy and he was susceptible to a guy level change and hit him in double legs. And that's ultimately how I won that match in overtime, but just hear me say this. I did not just walk up in the Olympics in 2000 going, so I don't even care who I wrestle, I'm just gonna cross my fingers and hope something good happens. There was a clear study and understanding of my opponent. And that's the only way you can become the best wrestler in the world, is to understand your opponent. And that goes on the best football player in the world, tennis player in the world, whatever it may be. We have to understand who we're fighting against so we can become victorious. What I want you to understand is that as Christians, we need to know that we're in an ultimate wrestling match of life. That you may not think that you're a wrestler. Let me tell you, you're a wrestler. Because wrestling means to struggle against an opposing force. And every single one of us in here, whether you like it or not, we're struggling against an opposing force. We're struggling against the devil every single day. And what we really need to understand, this first slide, I just want to hit, hit home, is that we need to deeply understand that we're in a daily battle against the devil. Every single one of us, we're wrestlers. And Pastor Bob actually a few weeks ago quoted these exact scriptures. Again, I thought, man, he's already, he's teaching two scriptures that I had teed up for the message, but we need to understand First Peter 5, 8 says that, Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That means that we can't just like, well, I just hope something good happens today. You know, I'll be okay, no big deal, la, 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 la. That's not how we should live our life. We have to have this understanding that we have an opponent, an enemy, who wants to rip our head off. And you can't just hope something good happens. You have to know a strategy to defeat him. Next verse that speaks clearly to this. We've heard this a lot. It's pretty wordy, but for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Again, we've probably heard that a lot. That's kind of a wordy verse, but you know what that means? Our struggle is against the devil. Our struggle is not against ourselves and flesh and blood, it's against the devil. That's what that means. So you put those two verses together, I think you're clearly understanding our our wrestling match of life that we're in, it's against the devil. So we need to know what his strategies are, what his tactics are. And again, this may get a little deep today, but I'm one of these people that I think, and I say this respectfully, but in our culture now, listen to a lot of church services and things across the country, a lot of times all that gets talked about is all this positive stuff. Let's just talk about positive, like feel good stuff all the time. I think we need to have days where we come in here and talk about some tough stuff too. Some sin and who we're, Wrestling against and fighting against. So, today's message is just how and why we fall. Like, how do we fall and why do we fall? What does that look like? Again, that's going to come down to how the devil's attacking us. The devil's best three attacks are tempting us in these three ways. And I want to unpack these today. To preview these to you, the three words we're going to talk about a lot are pleasure, possessions, and power. And I believe that our opponent, our enemy, the devil, that's how he's coming at us every single day in those three ways. Now, again, there's, there's a lot of you would, right now you may say, well, he's coming to me at more than that, but I, I can hear you on that. Let me do my best to define these three, and I think you'll agree with me, like, oh, yeah. That's how it's happening. That's what I'm dealing with every single day. Our next slide is, uh, this is John telling us what the world is. We've heard that term before. Hey, don't, you, can, you can be in the world, but don't be of the world. You can live in the world, right, but don't be of the world. We hear the term all the time, like, oh, that's a very worldly point of view, that, that, that music is really worldly, that show is really worldly, that person's really worldly. We hear that a lot, but what's fascinating to me is sometimes I'll ask people, it's like, well, what do you mean by worldly? And they'll go, well, you know what I mean. I'm like, no, not what I mean. I'm asking you, you tell me, what does it mean? When you say worldly, what do you mean? And a lot of times people, not to be disrespectful, but a lot of times they, they can't answer that question. And I think John answers this question really well in this verse. So if you want to know what worldliness is, he describes this really well. He says, "Do not love the world," he uses the term, or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, in them for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, pleasure, the lust of the eyes, possessions, and the pride of life, power, comes not from the world, but from not from the Father, but from the world. The worldness desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So what the Apostle John's telling us that the world is this cravings of the sinful nature. What I'm gonna call, instead of using all those words, I'm just gonna call that pleasure for our memory. He says the world is the lust of the eyes. We see something, we want to possess it. I see that, I want it. So I'm gonna use the word possession to describe that. And he says the pride of life, which other commentaries, other uh, versions say the boasting of what a man has or does. I'm gonna call that power. So John's saying the world is pleasure, possessions, and power. And what does that look like in many ways? I'm going to talk about the sin in my own life, but I think a lot of times, you know, pleasure can be seen as a lot of people clearly struggle with alcoholism. They struggle with drug addiction, right? Some people could struggle with food addiction, porn addiction, things that make them, they perceive feel good, pleasure, right? Uh, we talked about Um, in worship that I think we want to seek after things that give us peace. I think this would connect worldly peace, right? Worldly peace makes us feel good. We're looking for happiness, a happening, a happening, something that makes me happy, something that makes me feel good. That's the lust of the flesh. That's pleasure. And then the lust of the eyes, possessions, that's saying we see something, we want it. I think if I get a new Ford F-150 King Ranch edition truck, Right, that I'm gonna be happy. You're saying, why do you choose that? Well, I'm from Texas, I know where the King Ranch is, I think it's a pretty cool truck, right? So I think I get that, that's gonna really make me happy if I possess that. If I get this amount of money, if I win the World Championships, I'm gonna get paid this much money. I think if I possess that, that's gonna make me happy. And then the power comes its way as far as titles. If I become the president of the company or the vice president of the company, if I end up winning an Olympic gold medal, if I become the national champion, if I become the professor of the year, if I become the teacher of the year, right, all these titles, if I reach this point in life, then I'll really have made it. I'll have peace. But it's worldly peace. It's really Satan's lie telling you that if you experience these things, pleasure, possessions, and power, then you'll have peace. But it's a lie. It's a lie. These things will never fulfill us. And, and John makes it clear that it comes not from the Father, right? These things don't come from God, they come from the world. Again, they come from Satan. And the world and his desires pass away. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. Worldly success passes away. In 1 Corinthians 9, it talks about, Paul talks about r- running a race, running after a gold, right? He says, I'm not running after one that will tarnish and fade. I'm seeking after a gold that will last forever, a crown that will last forever. Satan's telling us that, hey, you should run after a gold that's just going to make you feel good here on earth. God's saying, I want you to pursue a gold that will last forever. Job twenty-two twenty-five 25 says, once you put all these other worldly things away, Job twenty-two twenty-five 25 says, then the Almighty will be your gold. The choice is silver for you. He will be your fulfillment. So this is worldliness. This is what we're struggling with. This is what Satan's coming at us every single day. When that Russian's digging underhooks and he's shooting single legs on me, those are his main attacks. This is what Satan's doing that to us every single day. He's coming at you, pleasure, 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 possessions, 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 power, 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 every day. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you'd say uh, amen. I think you'd say amen, right? Next slide is, I wanna explain this a little bit because you may say, okay, Brandon, well, that's just, That's just one, you found one verse in the Bible to explain that. Do you have any other um, facts? Do you have any other evidence where Satan attacks people in that way? And I would say, I do. Give me about five minutes here, and I'll show you. really fascinates me is that Satan chose to attack Jesus in this exact same way. By the way, I asked Fran to hold this up to about a 5-9 level, but I don't know if he could do it for 45 minutes straight, so I let him off the hook, okay? It says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit to the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I know what that's like. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So as a wrestler, I know what it's like to go all day without eating. I know what it's like to kind of fast in that regard. And if you've ever fasted or gone all day without eating, you know that you have this desire to eat, thinking, well, man, if I have a piece of that bread, that'd be good, right? It's going to make me feel good. It's going to give me pleasure. Now, that's us for one or two days, maybe. Forty days. He didn't eat. So Satan slithers in and he's tempting Jesus in this fast saying, hey, if you just have some of this bread, tell that rock to become bread, then, right, you'll have, you'll have peace. You'll have pleasure. It'll make you feel good. You don't have to fast anymore. Have some of this bread. So Satan's tempting Jesus with pleasure. And let's, let's notice really closely in all three of these instances, what does Jesus do immediately after he's tempted? So right after Satan tempts Jesus with pleasure. Jesus' answer said, "It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God." Right when Jesus is tempted, he quotes Deuteronomy. Now I don't know about you, but usually when I'm tempted, my first verse is not from Deuteronomy. It might be from like Psalms, Proverbs. <laughs> the Savior of the world is coming at him with Deuteronomy. The immediate reaction to temptation was not to talk to Satan about five minutes was to quote God's word. we're gonna learn later was to swing his sword back at Satan immediately. Satan realizes that, okay, he's not gonna be tempted by pleasure, so next he hits him with the next one. Um, I gotta kinda move this down for light. And then he says, uh, after that, he gets in there, he says, takes him to the city, he had him stand on the highest point of the temple, and he tells Jesus, he says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. And this is where Satan, by the way, starts quoting scripture. Don't kid yourself. You think you know Bible? Satan knows Bible way better than you know Bible. He's about to quote a verse from Psalms to the word. He's about to quote the word to the word. That's how, that's how brazen he is. He quotes Psalms, Jesus says, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So really what Satan's doing right here, he's saying, hey, Jesus, don't you have the power? If you throw yourself down from this cliff, don't you have the power to summon the angels, the legions of angels to come save you so you won't even strike your foot against a stone? Don't you have the power, big guy? Come on. He's tempting him with power. Notice what Jesus did. He didn't talk to Satan for five minutes about it. Go, you know who I am. You know I'm the son of God. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he didn't start that. His immediate reaction, Jesus answered him. He says, also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So immediately, Deuteronomy, right back at Satan. Swings the sword right back at Satan. Satan says, okay, I'm not going to get him with power. I'm going to have to try something else. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And Satan says, all this I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. So Satan's telling Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you all these possessions. I will allow you to possess the kingdoms of the world. So Satan's like, pleasure didn't work, power didn't work, I'm going to try possessions on Jesus. And again, Jesus' same modus operandi, his same mode of operation was to quote scripture. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Quotes Deuteronomy to Satan once again. And it says the last verse of that section says, then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. James 4 talks about if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Right after that says, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. How do you resist the devil? God's word. Truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. How do you resist Satan? Capital T, truth. Again, we're gonna learn later, this is our sword, the sword of the spirit. This is what we're gonna swing around. We have a lot of defensive Um, areas to protect us, which we'll talk about. But this is our one main offensive weapon. This is how we protect ourselves against the evil one. In Genesis 3, let's go back to the next again. Genesis 3, 6 right here, it also kind of uh, just amazes me that Satan tempted Jesus in this way, but again, I wanted to know, it became curious to me as I was studying this a while back, I was thinking, I wonder how Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. When there was no sin, and Eden was perfect, and Adam and Eve didn't know evil, they hadn't experienced evil, they walked with God in the garden, there was this godly peace that was taking place. How was it that Satan slithered in and got Adam and Eve? What did he do? What was his tactic? What was his move? What was his technique? Well, in Genesis 3.6, I just put this up for you, this is the most important part to understand, it talks about that, that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God didn't want Adam to, need to experience evil, just himself. But that fruit says the fruit of the tree was good for food. Right? Good food, when I eat it, tastes good, makes me feel good, gives me pleasure. Right? I ate some good barbecue, tastes good, gives me pleasure. So Satan tempted Eve with this allure of pleasure. It's going to taste good to you. see that fruit right there? It's going to taste good. And then not only it's going to taste good, but but look at it. it. Doesn't it look good? It looks amazing, doesn't it? Isn't that the best fruit you've ever seen in your life? You can possess it. You can have it if you want. It's going to taste good pleasure. You can have it. You can possess it, possessions. And then what's the last way he got to Eve? And he said, also, if you eat that, it's going to be desirable for gaining wisdom. You're going to know and be like God meaning you're gonna have power. Can you think about this for a moment? John said, worldliness is pleasure, power, and possessions. Satan, tempt, Satan tempted Jesus with pleasure, power, possessions. When there was no sin in the world, the original no human sin, Satan tempted Eve with pleasure, possessions, and power. Those are his three main moves. He got Eve with him. He clearly didn't get Jesus Christ with him, but he tried. If we're honest with ourselves, he gets us with them every single day. Those are his main attacks. And once we understand what our opponent, how he attacks us every single day, then we can better plan for victory. Let's look at the next slide. So I want, I want to be really candid today and I want to talk about, about my sin, like how, how the devil scores on me. I think it's important that people realize that even people that stand up in front of church body of Christ and speak that we are clearly sinners too, and we mess up. And I think as I was growing up when I was, say, in high school and in college, I I think that I was probably, not probably, I was drawn more into the possessions and power. When I was in high school or college, I was thinking that, hey, if I get this type of job and I have this type of money, that I can buy this type of car and have this type of home, and that's really going to fulfill me if I possess all those things. When I was younger, I think I really believed if, if, I, could, if I could graduate from this Ivy League school, from the Wharton School of Business and, and get this job in New York City and have this title, where I'd be seen as somebody that's really important, if I had that power, then it'd really fulfill me. So when I was younger, I felt like I was definitely more tempted by possessions and power. But as I've gotten older, I've started realizing that possessions and power don't fulfill you. I don't have this all figured out by any stretch of the imagination. But God's taught me, and, and I say this in, in a humble way, but I have some friends that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And I've been around them and it, kind of and seen their life and how it's worked out and I've realized that possessions don't fulfill you. I've been around people that have had some amazing success in the world and I've realized that th- that power in their life doesn't fulfill them. And again, I say this humbly. I mean, having an Olympic gold medal reaching my ultimate goal, the summit of the sport of wrestling, i realized that doesn't fulfill me. Clearly doesn't fulfill me. When I, have, when I have a bad day, I shared this a sizzle in summer, but I think you know not everybody that was there that night is here this morning, but when I have a bad day, you know I'm married, I have four kids. You saw that picture. I mean, again, it looks kind of great. We're all smiling. We all look happy, but... You know, later on this afternoon, my three-year-old's going to be pulling my five-year-old's hair. There's going to be pink and purple toys all over the place. I'm going to step on a Shopkin. I'm going to yell out because I hurt my foot. I'm going to be frustrated. My wife's going to be, come on, they're just kids. Get over it. I mean, we're going to be like, you know, it's going to be going on. But when I'm in the midst of that, here's what I don't do. When I'm like in that struggle, here's what I don't do. I don't, I don't run to my office, close the door, latch it, and put my gold medal around my neck and look at myself in the mirror and go, Brandon, come on, don't forget, you're the Olympic champ. You're the man, you're the myth, you're the legend. I mean, if y'all saw me do that, you'd be like, who is that guy? Like, God, what an arrogant prig. I can't believe it. That's the way he lives his life. I've realized that possessions and power don't fulfill. But at this stage in my life, as a 43-year-old, I would say, now I would say I'm, I struggle with pleasure, and here's what I mean by pleasure. Yes, there's the simple pleasures of I don't really feel fulfilled. I think I need something, so, yeah, I want to I have some leftover Halloween candy from last year that we have saved up in the cupboard, thinking that's going to fulfill me. So, the, yeah, there's this satiation thing that goes on where I think I just need something else to make me feel better, so I'll eat that you know, or drink something that's going to think it's going to fulfill me. There's that going on. But I think what really plays out is, again, when you're married and you have four kids, the pleasure thing I struggle with now is I want things my way. I like things clean and neat. And you're like, she's laughing, you got four kids, well, good luck with that, right? (laughs) So what happens for me now is I get home and, again, there may be stuff all over the place, and all of a sudden I start getting frustrated immediately because it's not the way I would want it. The mudroom's not picked up the way I want How come you didn't put your backpack up? How come you didn't put your shoes up? How come there's toys all over the place? How come, I mean, I'm just, my wife hands me the six-month-old, I'm gonna work all day long. Here you go, he spits up on my shoulder. I'm just like, you know, it's, I start sometimes getting frustrated because it's not what I want at the moment. I become selfish in the midst of even having a family. And I own that. I tell my wife I'm sorry. I tell my girls I'm sorry at times because I can get angry at that because I like things a certain way, but I have to realize I'm at a stage in my life that's just not where we are right now. It's not all about me. And by the way, it never will be all about me. So what happens with the pleasure for me nowadays, it's really, I put, it's it's verse, really the the fruits of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, and self-control. When things aren't the way I want them, I'm not exhibiting the fruits of the spirit because I'm focused on my own pleasure and my own wants, my own wishes, which is selfishness. So pleasure plays, out, plays itself out in that way for me. And then, again, I'm in a different stage of life, but the whole possessions and power, again, I know possessions won't fulfill me. I mean, I'm, I drive a 2004 Acura TL because it's paid off. It's nice not to have a car payment. As long as the thing still works, I'm gonna keep driving it. Why go buy another new car when this car works? So I understand, again, that doesn't just to pat me on the back. I'm just saying, I'm understanding possessions don't fulfill me. It actually feels good to throw stuff away. I love filling up bags and taking them to places to give it away. I'm at that stage. I understand, like I told you before, that the, the success in life doesn't fulfill me. But you know what it plays out is that I'm thinking, but how hard am I working during the week? I'm, I'm working, 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 doing all these things. Why am I staying so busy at times? Is it because I'm thinking possessions and power fulfill me? And I put this acronym up here because I think we could all potentially associate with this. This busyness, staying too busy, is being under Satan's yoke. B-U-S-Y. Think about that. One of my least favorite things, and I'm, tr- I'm not going to judge you if you ever ask me this, so just hear me. But it, it always kind of like rubs me the wrong way when somebody walks up to me. It's like, hey, Brian, what's going on? You staying busy? I'm like, oh, man, I'm like, yeah. I mean, there's always things going on. But what I don't want to do is, say, hey, you staying busy? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm busy. you staying busy, Joe? Oh, yeah, I'm busy. We're busy. All right, high five. Let's keep staying busy. See you next week. We'll talk about being busy. <laughs> I'm like, that was great level one communication. Well, that's great. We'll just keep doing that. That kind of, like, bugs me. Because we can all keep ourselves so busy, 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 but you know who wins in that battle? Satan. Because he's keeping you so busy, you're not being the best Christian. You're not being the best husband wife father mother friend that you possibly could be because we're doing we're caught up in all these things in the world thinking again tempted that possessions of power are going to fulfill us so again I'm, i'm not totally away from that yet but i'm thankful that god's given me a better understanding about this this is where i struggle next slide so what do we do okay so now you know now we understand how Satan comes is, what his main three moves are, what we're struggling with. What do we do? What's the application? What's the action plan? When I have meetings with people, it's great to have meetings, but the question always at the end, I always say, when we get done, I'm like, what's the action plan? Because <laughs> we could just meet to meet, death by meeting. Or at the end, what is the action plan moving forward, and what's the, what are the goals and when those things have to be accomplished? Because if not, we're just meeting to drink coffee to talk. What's the plan? So what our action plan is, once we know this stuff, the Apostle Paul makes it clear. He says, you take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and you pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I'll go up a couple verses. I don't want to put the whole thing on the board, but the Apostle Paul makes it clear that our defensive weapons are the full armor. And today is not a message on the full armor of God per se, but I think we have to understand that he gives us the shield of faith, that's the first thing something's going to hit. If I'm going to fight, it's probably not going to be my belt to hit him first. It's going to be the shield. It's not going to be my helmet to hit him first. It's going to be my shield. What's the shield of faith? The shield of faith is our faith is that Jesus Christ, he died on the cross and rose from the grave. And we have faith in the shed blood of our Savior for our sin. We have faith in that. We believe in it and we've received it. That faith is a defensive weapon that's very important to keep up in the daily battle. He also talks about, again, the verses before that, we have this breastplate of righteousness. It's interesting that the breastplate of righteousness, rightness, purity, obedience, is on our heart. The breastplate, it's on our heart. Because that's where the wellspring of life flows from, Proverbs. And we need to protect our heart. Our obedience comes from our heart. The breastplate, the more obedient we are, we better protect ourselves against the evil one. He talks about the belt of truth. The belt of truth, I've said it already. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's the truth. We have to keep that strapped on. That's what actually holds everything together, your belt. And the armor of a warrior back then It would hold everything together. We have to remember that. And then he goes on to say that we have this helmet of salvation. The helmet's on our head. It's on our brain. So we remember. We remember that we're saved. Even when we fall for Satan's trickery. Even when we make mistakes, even when we sin, even when we fall short, we ask for forgiveness, we get back on the right track, we have to keep remembering that we didn't lose our salvation. It doesn't like I'm saved one day and I did something wrong, now I'm not saved. I better work hard to become saved again. I feel for people that live that way. Because that wouldn't be a fun way to live. The Apostle Paul wants us to remember that if we just said to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, helmet, it's on our brain, so we always remember that. But those are our defensive weapons, shield, belt, breastplate, helmet. What's our offensive weapon? Jesus taught us our offensive weapon, which is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's what Jesus was swinging around in Deuteronomy. He was being attacked, sword of the spirit. He's unsheathing it, and he's attacking Satan back. And that's why Satan resisted him. But we swing the sword, we swing God's word, we know truth, but then he also tells us we need to pray. We need to involve other believers and pray for other believers because we're not in this on our own. We're a church. What's the church? It's not a building. It's not bricks, it's not a white steeple. The church is the body of Christ. We're believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of what color, shape we are. That's the church. We need to pray for one another in that regard. That's what Paul tells us to do. I think another winning strategy, we go to the next slide. If we talk about swinging our sword, but I wanna make this really clear that the Bible study it's, it's, yes, you study the Bible, but I think it's important that you memorize scripture. When Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus didn't have to open up his Bible to go read Deuteronomy. He just started quoting it. And here's the thing, it's not, the level of Christianity, there's not different levels of Christian. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian. There's not different levels of like, well, she knows 22 scriptures and I know 15, she's better than me. That's not what it's about, but you do need to know God's word. I'm about to do something. I didn't plan it out, and I'm not doing this for arrogance at all, but just to make a point. Why I'm being tempted, I just I cling on to these scriptures that i memorized. Psalm 121 says, blessed be the man who knows the Lord who walks in his ways. A great wrestling verse is Psalm 144. One, blessed be the man <coughs> whose, whose hands and strength is in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 1 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Joshua's about to go into battle and God tells him, Joshua 1, you be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or discouraged for the Lord goes with you wherever you go. 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says, for the eyes of the Lord range to and fro throughout the earth looking for those whose hearts are fully devoted and committed to him. Matthew ten thirty nine Jesus said, if you cling to your life, you will lose it, but if you give it up to me, you'll find it. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I want to tell you, you don't have to know a lot of scriptures to lead people in salvation, but let me tell you three that you should know. You could go to any place in the world, or by the way, right here in Delaware County and lead people to Christ. If you know Romans three twenty 23, four of all sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. Then you tell them that the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6, 23. And you tell them in Romans 10, nine, 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus the Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified and your mouth, you confess and are saved. You know those three verses and if you just know those three verses, you can sit down with somebody and lead them to Christ. Gang, we need to know God's word. So when Satan hits us with pleasure, power, and possessions, we don't just take the hit to our helmet, take the hit to the breastplate, take the hit on our shield, take the hit to our belt, that we swing back with God's word. It's ultra important. So yes, we do Bible studies, but you need to memorize this scripture. Ultra important. Another part of the winning strategy, and we heard the Apostle Paul say in Ephesians, right, was prayer, we talked about. But he says to pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit, before I speak today, I say, I say, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, just speak through me. Allow this not to be about me, but to be about you. You pray in the Spirit. You pray clearly not just for yourself, but for other believers in Christ. Worship is just the attitude of gratitude. That was a wonderful worship session this morning. But worship is not just about singing. Worship is a life of worship. It's waking up in the morning going, yes, I'm breathing. Seriously. Don't take that for granted. It's being thankful that you're alive, being thankful that you can can see and you can hear and you walk and you can talk. And by the way, not everybody can even do that. So we're thankful for all that God's given us. That's the attitude of worship. If you've been saved by the blood of Christ and you believe in Jesus and you've received him into your life, that's the the most amazing thing that there is to be thankful about because your salvation is secure. We walk in worship with that attitude of gratitude and we do it through music and we raise our hands and we worship the Lord but we also do it daily in our lifestyle. That's how we defend against Satan as well. And the last part is fellowship. I say get in small groups. You share struggles, hold each other accountable. And then you celebrate when there's recovery. You celebrate when there's successes. You remember I just, I tried a little bit to open up with you just about some of my struggles. What's really important is that I take those and I share them with another Christian brother. And I say, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's how Satan tempts me. This is how Satan attacks me. This is what I'm susceptible to. I wanna open it up, more, be real with you. This is where I struggle. And then he shares that with me, right? And we know each other, we're known to a higher level. I pray for him, he prays for me, or maybe there's two or three guys. You ladies, you do that with each other, but you have that that genuine, authentic sharing of your struggles together, and again, you do it together as a fellowship, a community, not just being a lone ranger, thinking that you can wrestle Satan all by yourself. It's foolish to do that. Again, we do this as a body of Christ, so fellowship is ultra-important. So gang, as we're being attacked every single day in those three ways, the winning strategy is, is yeah, we put on our full armor. Those are defensive weapons, but most important, we need to swing that sword of the spirit around. We need to pray, we need to worship, and we need to do it together in fellowship. I'm about to have her start this video of a young man. He's a man now. He's 22 years old, but this is one of my wrestlers. I coached at the Olympic Training Center. I lived in Colorado Springs for eight years before this and had the the honor to be one of our Olympic coaches in 2012 and 2016 and I coached this guy from when he was 17 till about 20 uh, and I still coach him and work with him but we're, we're, he lives in um, Columbus, Ohio now. He wrestled at Ohio State University. But I still have this relationship with him and when he showed up to the Olympic Training Center, uh, he's from Maryland, he showed up to the Olympic Training Center, he gave up a senior in high school, he could have been a four-time state champion, he gave that up to come out and train with us and when he got there, he kind of grew up. He grew up in a, a Catholic background, so he didn't really know God's word. He, he hadn't really um, poured into the Scripture before, having this genuine, like personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He really didn't have. So he started coming to Bible study. He started learning. He started reading his Bible. And right now, it's just it's really cool to see how he is on fire for the Lord. See how his worldview, even when things don't go the way he wants them. His worldview is not to be destroyed by failure, not to be destroyed by a loss. And by the way, not to be defined even by his successes. He won the Worlds in 2015 as a 19-year-old. He was the youngest American to ever be a world champion as a 19-year-old. He won the Olympics in 2016. He was the youngest American to ever win the Olympics as a 20-year-old. He won the Worlds in 2017 last year, and he was going for his fourth world title in a row, which again, from a worldly perspective, people were gonna really lift him up for that. And he was wrestling a Russian, again, another Russian, wrestling a Russian in the finals named Sajulayev, who's also world champion. It was a big, big to-do about these two guys wrestling each other. And Kyle Snyder ended up, he got caught in a move about the first minute he got caught on his back and he got pinned. And he lost the Russian, he got second in the world. And this video, I think it's really good because the journalists, you're not gonna hear their questions, but they're trying to get under his skin and saying, hey, you lost, how does this, how does this define you? How does this define your career now, now that you lost? What does this mean for you? I think it's really cool to see how he answers these questions. What's
1: your feelings, reflections, the tournament and tonight of course? Yeah, the tournament was pretty good. You know, making it to the World Finals is awesome. Uh, And uh, the Finals ended quickly, so that stunk, but uh, everybody knows Sajalai is a very talented wrestler, He hit me in a good move, and it worked out uh, well for him tonight. Kyle, champions are often defined not by wins but by losses. How is this loss going to define you? Wins or losses don't define me. I mean, I love wrestling, and it's a big part of my life, but I'm not defined by the sport, defined by my faith in Jesus. So uh, that's what, I mean, no matter what happens to me on the mat, Nothing, nothing really changes, whether I win or whether I lose, there's not a big change in my life, the way that I view myself, the way that I view other people, so I'm thankful for everything, I'm thankful for the gifts that I have, uh, and the opportunity to compete, um, it's God's given me, God's given me the wins that I've had, the great wins that we've seen, and then God's also given me losses, and I'll take both of them, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever he wants to give, I'll learn from it, and uh, that's the deal.
0: I think that's pretty wise for a 22 year old and when I heard him give that interview it really made me think of somebody when he said hey God gives me wins you know gives me losses I'll take whatever he gives me you know praise the Lord it reminds me of a guy named who said the Lord gives the Lord takes away I praise the Lord I think it was really wise for Kyle to to talk about hey wins and losses don't define me it's my relationship with Jesus Christ that defines me these guys keep going, so, so now you just got second in the world. Like, what's going to change in your life? And he's like, nothing. Man, what, what are you saying? Just because I'm second now and he walk around with my head down and feel like a failure because I got second in the world. His, it's kind of like a joke to him. He's like laughing. He's like, nothing's going to change. I'm going to keep doing what I love to do. He's like, I love wrestling. I'm going to use the gifts that God's blessed me to the best of my ability. I'm going to keep driving on and I'm going to draw my identity from Christ. And I think that that's a great lesson for all of us that when we're being attacked by Satan every single day, we know that we're going to sin. For all of sin falls short of the glory of God. We're going to mess up. When we do mess up, we say, Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I know you died for all the sin of the world. Thank you so much for that. But I'm going to get back on the right track. I'm not going to let these mistakes destroy me. Now, by the way, if I do have successes, I'm not going to let those define me. I'm going to draw my identity from Christ alone. And in closing today, think about this wrestling match of life again, what I want you to understand is you're, you're going to get taken down. You're going to get caught on your, on your back maybe. The guys are going to score points on you, so to speak. Satan's going to get you sometimes. It's just the truth because we're all sinners. But what's really, really important to understand when you walk out of here is in the wrestling match of life, if you believe and receive Jesus Christ into your life, at the end you always get your hand raised. If you believe in Jesus, you're going to win the wrestling match of life. You're going to be victorious, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done for you. You get your hand raised. You're victorious. It's a win, 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 win situation for you. You can't lose because of what Christ did for you. You are the victor as long as you believe in the Savior. But for some reason, you haven't made that commitment yet. When I pray here in a moment, I'm going to lead you through that prayer. And you have the opportunity to secure yourself total and ultimate victory if you choose to accept Him into your life.